Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. And welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Mason Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Seifel, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson. How's everyone doing this week? I'm doing Just okay. Just delightful. That's good. Or I say yes, as I sir. stare at my fantasy roster with seven injured players on it. You know. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, I know. My team it is. It do wrecked. be that kind of. This is like my worst start to a fantasy season across all leagues I've had in literally a decade. So uh, fuck these balls, man. Yeah, it's so annoying. Ah. I'm happy that I drafted Trout and Machado, so... I did. This is the first year I've ever owned Trout, which I'm enjoying. Um, Yes. Mike Trout, big news, is good at baseball. Um, So that's fun. Mm. Big if we can confirm. Yes. It's so (laughs) fucking unfair that the Angels have Trout and Otani. (laughs) I know. How did we how did we allow this to happen as a society? Yeah, they're well, super. I mean, we we have Degrom and Scherzer, so that's kind of like pitching equivalent. That's true. All right, so promote extend trade, and two years ago, obviously, you know, COVID was kind of starting, so. Oh, 
Sounds like someone has a motorcycle. Doesn't want to promote extended. <laughs> All right. So back to, uh, two years ago on this date, we got a listener uh, sent us an email, and I think it might have changed the fabric of from complex to queens. I will quote it. I would suggest thinking a little more about comments you made in a segment in the book Promote Extend Trade. Came off remarkably misogynistic. The Bronte sisters not having written a good book and the diary of Anne Frank not being as good as night because she wasn't in the camps. Wow, 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 wow. Oh, I I totally forgot this. And I said these things. (laughs) (laughs) It was sent by listener Tom Scotto, and it's two years later. And if Tom Scotto is the – Tom Scotto, who is a program manager at Northrop Grubman, the defense contractor, I hope you did unsubscribe because fuck the military-industrial complex. But if not, I hope you're still a listener. Can, so I, can, I, say, can I say, Steve, uh, sure. I was correct on both of those points. <laughs> no Bronte novel is good, and Night is 100% better than The Diary of Anne Frank. Welcome to uh, From Complex to Queens. No learning has occurred here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that in mind, it made me realize that we have some uh, Complex to Queens memes. So what Complex to Queens memes are we going to promote, extend, or trade? Complex to memes. Yes, yes. Complex to memes. First, we have Ringo. Next up is Lucas's feud with Bobby Kay. Why am I and the one who's let, always getting in fights here? <laughs> I don't know. No learning. And last but not least, uh-huh, are the Johnson City Soldiers. And that's tough. That's it's tough. I think I have to extend Lucas's feud with Bobby K because it's, it, it was just such an innocuous thing that just... Yeah. legs. Can I say about that? Can I say something about that fight too? <laughs> Go ahead. I was right about that too. <laughs> I mean, you, you weren't wrong. <laughs> so, if we're going to do any learning here, that I should keep getting into fights. <laughs> Lucas, go have at it. Oh god. Okay, I'll have to prepare some more hot takes. Like Anthony K is in a very good prospect. Jesus. Ringo might be my prom- favorite. I was going to promote Ringo, actually, because Ringo I feel like we've gotten more uh, mileage out of that one. We do love Ringo. Peace and love. Peace and love. And, like, and like the thought of him just like sitting down and like getting ready for Complex of the Queens every week is hilarious. <laughs> Time to catch like, up on my favorite team's minor league system. <laughs> yeah, like, one, he's a, like, the idea that he's a Mets fan, and two, that he's so deep into it that he's listening to like the minor league po- uh, p- uh, portion of the podcasting from Amazing Avenue, which isn't even like that's still a deep cut. Like if you listen to just Amazing Avenue audio, I think it's like you're a big fan. Like, and if you're getting down here, then you're a big big fan, and that's that's Ringo for you. I think I think it's even better because it's not just a random celebrity we picked; it's a random. British celebrity we picked yeah, exactly. probably doesn't even know the rules of baseball. Uh, he's been to Shea Stadium, so... It's just like cricket, in it? No, <laughs> not really. 
if Ringo was a baseball fan, he would definitely be a Mets fan, though. Oh, yes. absolutely. But yeah, that's so funny to me, the Ringo stuff. And the, and the Johnson City so- Soldiers, it, it, was, it burned brightly for such a short time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. <laughs> yep. Now imagine I could actually do a Scruffy from Futurama voice and insert that in there. I'm just, I, I think it's just crazy that we have like over two years of doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's more surprising that we haven't gotten in more fights with random online <laughs> prospects. It's because they don't listen to us. Only Ringo does, so we're safe. <laughs> I, I would like to say, uh, Anthony K and or Bobby K, uh, you're always welcome on the show. Personal <laughs> <laughs> attacks. Like our job is to talk about the quality prospects. You know, don't take it personally. I'm trying to think. I don't think that I've ever encountered any particularly negative. Mothers, fathers, brothers, cousins, friends, whatever. Did uh, Hunter Barco's dad get into a thing with you on Twitter? I don't really recall. I vaguely remember him being like, he doesn't throw this pitch, he throws that pitch after your draft recap. It's It's starting to ring a bell. Of course, I mean, a lot of the time this information isn't perfect, so... Right, 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 right. I mean, honestly, the only ones I could really remember having a lot of interaction with are Mr. Giorme, but those are always positive. Yeah, yeah Mr. Giorme is supposed to be, like, a real nice guy, even if he did yes. make Luis play wall ball for, like, 40 <laughs> hours a day growing up. I don't I think he made that's what I play wall ball. I think yes, it's like yes, I, being outside I, is not safe right now because we're in Venezuela. Yes. I, <laughs> I'm definitely joking. Uh, Papa Guillaume is a fun dude. So is Luis Guillaume. Yeah, yeah. A couple have like liked things that I've you know, said or pictures, as for pictures, things like that. But I don't really – I have to look into like my my, my – I mean, Hunter Barco being drafted was three years ago at this point. Mm. I don't know if you could even, like, scroll that far back. but And unfortunately, on Amazing Avenue, we lost all of the comments because of freaking... Yeah, the, the new comment system. Coral. Yeah, <sighs> sucks. And it sucks, too, the new comment system. It's real bad. Mm-hmm. I'm just now discovering that Luis Guillaume has a 125 weighted on the season. Yeah, he's, he's underratedly realize, good. He, he's going to have a nice little career. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's already had a decent career. But I mean, I expected him to be more like that. someone who posts 80s or 90s, and he's clearly better than that. I, I also think it yeah. helps that, like, the ball is so dead that, like, it's right into his profile of hitting singles anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and yet somehow he has a home run. And a, almost, like, that double he hit against, against the, I think it was the Sunday night game. Well, mm-hmm. one of the one of the bigger games where he almost mm-hmm. hit a home run to like dead center. It was like, all right, what? <laughs> baseball, baseball, man, it makes some logical sense. Mm-hmm. Well, so does uh, college baseball and high school baseball. Actually, those make a lot less sense. So, let's talk about our way too early draft updates. 
my two guys, Schitzler, he's still out with a broken foot. There is a possibility that he might come back, you know, another week or two towards oh, really? the end of the season. But, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's been about a month since he's been out and foot injuries. You know, that's about how long it takes. So there's a chance. And um, Landon Sims, who is recovering from Tommy John surgery, not so much. Uh, Lucas, I, ha- I have a dumb question for you, Steve. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. The Lauder's not because like his school doesn't participate in the tournament in any capacity, right? Or I don't think that they'll be in because they're a secondary, um, right? Yeah. So they're kind of a, a minor school, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, okay. I don't know what their. Let's see what their record is anyway. Oh, they're actually doing pretty good. The twenty-two, excuse me, the twenty-six and twenty-two. Yeah. Um, not good enough, but yeah, they're not, not good enough terrible. to be a tournament team. But no, no, no. they're not. But, like, are they, but my question is more: Are those teams ever eligible to be tournament teams? I don't know how the system works exactly. Pretty sure. I mean, yeah, it's a Division One NCAA school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They play, you know, they play the major teams, Florida State. And they're like, because I know he goes to James Madison, right? Elon. Yes. Mm-hmm. So like. James Madison is like a division F, they're like an FBS football team or FCS I mean football mm. team. So like they they are still D1 but they're like the second tier of D1. So yeah. okay. And like so a lot of those schools are just regular D1 for basketball and baseball and stuff because there isn't a second tier, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're usually just not good enough. Like one team will make it like to whoever wins the conference yeah. or whatever, but then they'll get bounced pretty quick because <laughs> they'll they'll play Tennessee or whatever <laughs> and be like oh, give up well. thirty runs. Yeah, exactly. Like Kansas literally gave up thirty runs and they're like a big like an actual mm-hmm. big conference team. Alright, so Brock Porter and Dylan Beavers. Uh for like the sixth week in a row, it's the same <laughs> same thing. Beavers mm-hmm. oddly only had seven at bats this week. I think he. I think they were like blowing out New Mexico, and they pulled him early, uh, and they didn't have a midweek game, and the Sunday game hasn't happened yet. He went one for seven. The one hit was a homer. Struck out twice, hitting two ninety one four twenty six fifty one on the season. He leads the Pac twelve in homers. Um, he was dra- picked twenty sixth in MLB's most recent mock draft, going to the White Sox. So same range, same stuff. Same hit tool concerns, but impressive power and athleticism. Uh, Brock Porter had his worst start of the season, by which I mean oh. he only struck out nine in seven innings. <laughs> Just slacking. Uh, he also walked three, and he gave up a hit. I mean, what what are we doing here? I thought I thought he just never gave up hits. Um, on the season, thirty five innings, seventy one strikeouts, thirteen walks. He's Gonna probably be the first pitcher off the board, which is crazy, uh, given uh, given how bad this pitching class is. So yeah, um, yeah. he's had a, a real nice season. I know it t- took a while for it to get going because Michigan baseball doesn't start until late April, basically, um, or mid April. But he's been real, real good. All right. Um, Ken, we know that Cam Collier, his season is done. How about Jace Jung? How has he been? Uh, Collier actually did play a couple of games, I'm, I'm seeing now. God uh, damn it. Uh, 
I don't understand because they they weren't listed on the schedule. But uh, let's see. Yeah, he played. Cam Collier went. Looks like one for eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, in two games, he uh, did not hit any extra base hits. And is now hitting 333 on the season. So down a little bit, but it was two games, so whatever. Maybe it would have been better if he didn't play. Yeah, but whatever. Uh, Zhang went one for nine. He had a, a down week. He played two games against Oklahoma State. Uh, one strikeout, one walk. The, the good news is he's still hitting 352, 500, 654 on the season with 12 homers, 30 extra base hits, and 53 walks against 28 Ks. Uh, so, yeah, Jace Jung, still very, very good at baseball. Love to see a 500 OBP. <sighs> Man, you know, if the Mets were actually competent, you could try to, like, float him or something, but... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's not a thing that they should try to do anytime. Really? Well, what makes you say that, Ken? <laughs> Uh, someone who we've decided we're not going to talk about anymore. <laughs> Telling me the Mets might not be trustworthy in this department. All right. Uh, last up, Thomas, Gavin Cross, and Brandon Barriero. So Gavin Cross, I'm going to highlight the last two games, which was yesterday and today, because it's a good microcosm for his season. He's hit two two home runs in the last two games. One he hit like 30 minutes ago. And Virginia Tech beat number seven Louisville yesterday on the back of that, and they're leading three nothing today because he is he's just their best player. Like it's it's one of those things where like if he's good, they're they are going to win a game, and he's hitting like three thirty three this year. Like it just is what it is. He's good. He could hit. Um, mock drafts have him. The latest MLB one um, has him going ten to Colorado, so it's right in the wheelhouse of. Where the Mets are picking, obviously they pick eleven, and it's not a it's not a huge stretch of the imagination to think that he will go one pick later. You know, obviously if you're going ten, you could go eleven. Um, that that mock has the Mets taking Brock Porter, by the way. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, so for future reference, but um, yeah, like basically I could see uh, Cross going in that range just because. Again, like I've said a few times, it's just a polished college bat who plays center in a corner outfield spot. Like, it's not the most exciting guy in the world, but also, if you're the Mets or the, even, like, the Rockies, for example, it's a guy who flies up your system. And Brandon Barea, because I'm a very good researcher, um, recently, remember when I was like, hey, guys, he hasn't pitched much, and I was wondering why? It's because he told mm-hmm. his high school that he's shutting himself down for pro ball or Vanderbilt. Um, nice. He's not necessarily hurt or anything. There's no health problems. It was a Kylie, um, Kylie McDaniel, right? Um, yes. Report that he basically just told them that he's ready to to care about pro ball in college. He's going to prioritize himself for that. Which um, I know that is a touchy subject sometimes with football when guys opt out of bowl games and stuff. But I think it's objectively a good thing for the player. I think it's one of those things that players need to take control of their future more because let's face it as much as he played for his high school his high school doesn't really stand to benefit for his future Mm. like 
them winning them winning a championship. It, it's cool, and his teammates care, and I'm sure his teammates also care that he go gets drafted because they're not assholes. You know what I mean? So <laughs> the last thing he wants to do is blow out his arm in a high school championship game. So he's just getting ready for Pro Bowl or getting ready for um, Vanderbilt, whichever whichever happens for him. I could see it going either way. I don't really know what's going to happen um, with that because I feel like with a Brock Porter type, everyone knows he's going to get drafted. I feel like this is a little less obvious, but also good for him for making that choice, I think. I yeah. feel like this yeah. is totally defensible as a pitcher. If you're a hitter, I might be a little annoyed you're doing I this. agree. I agree with a pitcher, yeah. Like, yeah. it's very very unlikely you're going to get a catastrophic hit injury as a hitter. Um, in ba- playing baseball, but the pitcher, yeah, I, I get it. All right, so as mentioned, um, uh, Jim Callis at MLB.com, he had a new mock draft, and no one is going to be uh, groaning here. He projects the Mets with their first pick, number 11 overall, to select Brock Porter. And then with their second pick, the 14 overall, he sees them shaking uh, Chase DeLauder. For what it's worth, as Thomas mentioned, number 10 was Cross. And then he also has the Tigers, who picked 12, selecting Cam Collier, and the Angels selecting Brandon Barriere with the 13th pick. So, I mean, yeah, honestly, so like you right know, in these the, are, yeah, right in these the are all guys. These are all guys that we'd be happy with the Mets picking. Since we've been following them since you know the the college and high school seasons have began, and they're all solid, good players. Yeah, it's I mean, good I'd be thrilled when, with this. Yeah, I mean, I it's think always it's a, good when. Go ahead, Steve. That's what I'm just saying. It's always good when like names that we are familiar with get selected over just yeah. kind of who's you know. I also think it's a good spot to draft where the Mets are drafting this year, kind of mm-hmm. like. It seems like good talent is going to be there at 11 and 14, no matter kind of where the top of the board goes. Like, there's some pretty uh, locked-in guys at the top, but also it kind of... There's going to be guys who fall in the next tier. I don't think really it's one of those, if you don't have a top nine or eight pick, you're totally screwed type drafts, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. the second tier is, I think, a lot bigger than normal because there's a lot of talent. It's just college arms that got hurt and high school guys and college bats who always go kind of in the teens because they're college bats. But, yeah, I think it's a good spot to have an 11 and 14 type thing. They're going to get two good players, probably two top five in their system. I think for one, it feels like for years, and there's definitely some bias in doing this, that, but we've talked about this, it always feels like the Mets are picking right at the start of a new tier, which is never where you want to be, obviously. In this draft, I think there's a, maybe without Lesko, it's more like a top five or six. And then there's a pretty big second tier, like Thomas is saying, from seven to 16 or 17, I think you could argue. Maybe even a little deeper than that. So for once, the Mets are picking in the middle of a tier instead of right at the top. So now we're saying, man, so many good choices instead of, god damn it. Why couldn't, they lose, yep. why couldn't they lose three more games and get like one of the yeah. end of the yeah. elite guys? Yeah, but... I think it's actually a pretty good draft for the Mets to be where they're at. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty – as the mocks have come out and stuff, and obviously they're mocks and they're not always 100% accurate, but these guys know. Like, they hear buzz and they kind of know what guys are – what teams are looking at and stuff. I've always been kind of 
coming away from the mocks. Like, I would be happy with that if the Mets got it. So, mm-hmm. It is a good year to have two selections. And speaking of, you know, the, the reason why the Mets have two selections, um, we have a second draft-related news point this week. Kumar Rocker has signed with the Tri-City Valley Cats, who are now part of the Frontier League, which is one of the MLB-affiliated indies. And obviously there's not going to be a reunion with the Mets, but it'll be interesting to see how he does, how his health is, and everything, because he is eligible to be selected in this upcoming draft, and there is a lot of, um, not confusion, but there's a lot of questions around, you know, his status and, and how I'm good so he curious. is, his health, where he's going to get selected, and who's going to pick him, yeah. He could be either the steal of the draft or the Mets could look like geniuses, and I wouldn't be surprised either way. <laughs> well, know? yeah, I don't think the Mets are going to look like geniuses no matter what because they well, sure. should have had backup picks. You know what I mean, though. Like, yeah. like in terms yeah. of- At best, this is a happy accident if it turns out that he can't, you know, do anything. Yeah, if he's washed. But also, if he goes to Tri-City and, and shoves and looks like himself, yeah. everyone's going to be like... That being said, I think there's very little <laughs> reason to think he'll be washed. <laughs> I agree with that. The likelihood is he's someone's very nice second-round pick because of everything that happened last year. Maybe even late first if you're feeling spicy. It's just such a crazy situation. The the further I get away from it, the more I'm mad that they didn't take a good late-round backup for it. Like, like that's what kind of annoys me about it more than the actual missing on Rocker. Like... Whatever. We've talked about this a million times. <laughs> All right, so we'll head over to our uh, – we'll take a look-see at our affiliates. And first off, by the Syracuse Mets, they played the scranton Wilkesbury Red Riders in a battle to see who's worse because they came into the week second to last <laughs> and the absolute last worst teams in the International League. Um, as we record right now on Sunday, Syracuse took three of the five games – so that leaves them 13 and 21 on the year, and a game in front of the Red Riders for dead last. So we might be uh, looking at two horrible—I mean, they already are two horrible teams—but two last place teams if Scranton wins uh, the game on Sunday. I went to Scranton on Tuesday and Wednesday to see this series because I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I don't know, but the <laughs> games really weren't too bad. Um, the Tuesday night game was pretty well pitched. Um, Thomas Zabucki pitched, and then the morning game on Wednesday, Mark Vientos and Nick Plummer, they both had multi-hit games, and they both had homers, so at least I got to see some good stuff. And you got to see Greg Bird. Uh, Right, of course. I I got to see Greg Bird, I got to see Oswaldo Peraza, uh, Estevan Florial, all of the future Yankees. Miguel Andujar. Miguel Andujar. God, I, Everybody. I forgot that Miguel Andujar existed. Remember Wasn't that one, one of the guys we were supposed to trade DeGrom for? Yeah, it, it was like we could give the Mets uh, Andujar and something else for DeGrom, and it was like, all right, but Andujar and Aaron Hicks, and we're like, that wouldn't even start the conversation. Not, not to derail Steve's segment too much here, but did you guys see the Twitter thread about, man, would you trade Anthony Volpe and Jason Dominguez for... Juan Soto. Yeah, and they, they all said no. Like a bunch of people saying no. <laughs> I would trade almost anything for Juan Soto. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. the fact that Juan Soto is like two same years age. older than them. Yeah, yeah, like that's kind of a... Juan uh, Soto was like leading the league in like literally percentage when <laughs> probably the best hitter on the planet. Arguably, yeah. definitely the best player in the, the National League. I think he might be the best. Uh, Trout probably has something to say about that again. But. Very, very, I think very close in terms of best hitter. Uh, obviously, Trout's significantly better as a player. But. Oh, he's Mike Trout after all. Um, so, yeah, so Syracuse games, the only the only bad thing about, like, that Wednesday game was it was... It started at 11 o'clock. It was a weird start, and it was, like, camp day, so that kind of sucked. Oh, a bunch of kids. surrounded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, though, I wasn't really there, like, to do, like, in-depth scouting stuff because most of these guys already know who they are, and there's plenty of data, so I really wasn't paying as much attention to that kind of stuff as just getting pictures and walking around and everything. Um... Well, yeah, Zipucky, at first I thought, like, oh, God, this is going to be a bad start because he loaded the bases in the first. He allowed two hard singles. He hit a guy. It, it just didn't look good. But he recovered, and he went on for a run that's actually, like, really super impressive. He struck out Max McDowell, David Friedis, and Jose Peraza, old friend Jose Peraza, swinging in the bottom of the second. And then he struck out. Matt Paida, Estevan Florio, and Aswal Peraza swinging in the bottom of the third. And then he struck out Miguel Andujar swinging to lead off the fourth inning. And he allowed a couple of hits, but then he struck out McDowell again swinging and Fritas uh, looking. And it was definitely like the most low-key nine-strikeout game I've ever seen. I don't know if I've ever seen a nine-strikeout game in person, but... Like, I look down, and I'm like, wow, this game is moving pretty fast, and Zipucky has, like, nine strikeouts. It's like, holy shit. Uh, stuff really didn't look too great, to tell the truth. He was sitting, like, 90 to 92. Uh, there were a couple of 93s. There was one or two 94s. Threw a bunch of change-ups, a couple of curveballs, more change-ups than curveballs. Like I said, it wasn't really locked into this too, too seriously, um, but I didn't really get the impression like, yeah, Zipucky's back. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's a major league caliber stuff arsenal that he has, but he got the job done in AAA, and you know, I don't know. These are these are a lot of guys in that lineup that, regardless of their their talent level and everything, they do have major league experience to some degree. So I don't know. I think- I think the ship sailed on starters of Pucky, but maybe you could leverage him as a like a up and down bullpen guy. With yeah, uh, I mean, to be a fireballer to be a, a usable bullpen arm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think he's going to be a future starter anymore, especially if he's throwing in the low nineties. Like yeah. if you put him in the pen, he ramp it up a little bit and do all of his other stuff and kind of get a few outs that way. You know. Yeah, I mean, if he's, if he, like you said, if he's in the pen and can ramp it up and can sit 94 instead of just one or two 94s, yeah. that's a lot more paddleable. Yeah, that's, like, doable. And you don't need him to be, a, like, a star reliever. Like, if the Mets need up and down arms, like, we've been talking about Adonis Medina and uh, Nagosek because he looked really good in his outing um, with his new arm slot. But, like, if if you get another one of those guys, like an up and down guy, they need them, like, desperately. They just don't have any optionable arms. So, mm-hmm. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Um, back to Syracuse. The bats now. Mark Vientos, it looks like he's finally waking up. Uh, he is... Well, through 19 games in April, he was hitting 164, 257, 311, with just one homer, seven walks, and 21 strikeouts. And now through seven games in May, he's hitting 333, 467, 833, four homers, six walks, and nine strikeouts. So good to see. Uh, Nick Plummer, same thing. A little bit more to it with him since he was promoted and sent back down and, you know, Hasn't really necessarily been given the chance to get into any kind of groove or nothing, but since May 1st, he's hitting 324, 432, uh, 622 with five doubles, two homers, and one walk to 12 strikeouts. That's not a good ratio, but, I mean, it, it's he's hitting, so that's good at least. Uh, one guy who's not hitting, though, and as a result, he's not even on the Syracuse roster anymore, is Khalil Lee. He got sent down to St. Lucie to work on stuff. And I don't know what's going on with him, but I hope he finds himself because he's he definitely hit rock bottom. But at the same time, he hit rock bottom last year, and you know when when he got promoted to the Mets, and then after that he kind of recovered and had a great season in Triple A for the rest of the year. So maybe he has a similar experience. He's he's hit rock bottom, and he's going to get his head on straight, and he's going to bounce back. That would be nice. Certainly would be. I don't want to give up yeah. hope. I probably should. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a volatile profile to begin with. Yeah, it is. And a lot of swing and miss in the profile, even when he was doing, going pretty well in last year. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Next, Binghamton Rumble Ponies. They played the Fisher Cats, New Hampshire Fisher Cats. They took three out of five of them, uh, the games that they played, and they are 11 and 20 on the season. Uh, Francisco Alvarez, he went six for 18 with a pair of doubles, three walks, and four strikeouts. Brett Beatty went eight for 21 with three doubles, two homers, uh, two walks, and six strikeouts. Ryan Mauricio, he went six for 18 with a homer. A walk and four strikeouts. And some secondary guys had good weeks, too. Jake Mangum, he went 7 for 17 with a double, two triples. Luke Rader went 6 for 18 with a double, a triple, two homers. 
if you see the there's a common thread here is that everybody's doing good and the Fisher Cats they are 10 out of 12 in ERA and dead last in strikeouts so suffice to say this is not a very good pitching team and everyone took advantage of some bad pitchers but you know what that's what good hitters is supposed to do so yeah it's nice to, it's nice yeah. to see them hit no matter who they're facing the way yeah exactly <clears throat> they were okay, a, a brief comment on one dude no, go ahead. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. No, the, well, the, the one comment I have <laughs> is on a dude who isn't hitting. How does Wyatt Young have a 140 weighted in AAA and goes down to AA and can't hit? I mean, he played like three games. Yes, I know. I know. It's, not a <laughs> it's, it's just line. funny. It's still yeah, funny. Wyatt Young is also a tiny human being. I did not realize until I saw him in person on, on Thursday. He's like 5'8", I think. He, he's like Oomph Loomph territory. So. Oh, man. He... He's listed at five eight, I think, but there's no chance. It's definitely yeah. at six five five. He's super fun in like a nineteen sixty one leadoff hitter way. <laughs> <laughs> like plays solid defense up the middle, makes a lot of contact. It goes absolutely nowhere. <clears throat> he will probably be a guy who plays in the majors for a little bit because he just makes contact, and you need a guy to do that for a week and a half, you know. David X9 2.0. I was going to say Danny Mono 2, Electric Boogaloo, but... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's always room on a roster for guys like that. Well, besides for uh, Wyatt's size, Ken, you, you saw the game, you went to a game. Do you have anything noteworthy to report besides for he is not a very large human being? Uh, not not really. the The game was pretty pretty standard as far as um, you know the big three are concerned. Uh, Alvarez still struggling a lot with off speed pitches. Uh, not really something to worry about. I don't think he's still the youngest player in the league by a country mile. And I'm more encouraged by the fact that he lit the league on fire until he started to slow down than the fact that he slowed down. Um. You know, I really think Batty can hit. Um, there, there was one play, his, his, the only hit I saw of any of the big three, I think, was uh, Batty. They were, like, overshifting him, so he just kind of slapped one to third. Ended up with an infield single. Uh, I think it's impressive that he can do things like that. Um, yeah, other than that, pretty pretty standard. Not Not much different from my, my previous look. You know, Mauricio still will swing out of his shoes at things that he doesn't really know where they're going. Mm. Yeah, nothing crazy. Yeah, sounds about right. Uh, Batty kind of lit it on fire this week a little bit. Um, went 8 for 21 in the series against New Hampshire. Uh, hit 381, 435, 810 with, with a pair of homers. Um. So he, he kind of slowed down for a little bit. It looks like he might be turning it back on, even if New Hampshire isn't you know particularly good pitching team. Uh, I'll also say the the weather was really nice, so you know that might help things start to carry a little bit more uh, as New England seems to be turning into more of a uh, you know late spring early summer type climate than. The uh, cold hellhole it's been <laughs> prior. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, nothing really new. Beatty's yeah. uh, batted ball numbers 
are trending in the right direction, let's say. He has his ground ball percentage all the way down to 43.8, and he's pulling more than he ever has in his career. He also has a 27.4 line drive rate, which, you know, pretty good. Federal play. I mean, a lot of what we've been saying is really the numbers don't... I mean, the numbers matter to a degree, but you want to just see him changing the way that he kind of hits it and... Yeah, we want to see him become a modern hitter. We want to see him yeah. pull the ball in the air. And he's not I mean, all the way there yet. There's more to do. But to, to be honest, I'm more encouraged by the fact that he's been able to put bat on ball as much as he has. Because, uh, again, there's so much raw power in there. And mm-hmm. he, he, him being a good hitter, um, you know, bodes well towards him getting it in games, even if it's not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm very encouraged by what I've seen with Batty so far this year. Yeah, especially, I mean, you can't complain with the week like he had. Three doubles, two homers. That is a good week in any uh, anyone's description. K's are starting to come down a little bit. Walks are starting to go back up. So, um, very, very encouraged. Mm-hmm. It's double A. He's a stone's throw from the big leagues. Yes, he had some time la- there last year, but... Uh, the fact that he's he's a good hitter and not just you know like a three true outcomes guy that we we kind of thought he might end up being at the draft is is you know very encouraging. I'm still I'm still hoping. I mean, it might not be the best outcome for him, but I feel like it'll be the most exciting. I'm still hoping for Adam Dunn, Brett Beatty. <laughs> no, I think, he, I think he's too good, too good a hitter for that. At this point. Yeah, no, I think he I think he, and he just doesn't have that kind of mentality. He's not trying to just pull the ball and smash it as far as he can. He's a little more... Yeah, there's more, some intent there. Where, uh, he's a little more cerebral. <laughs> he'll, he'll take what the pitcher's giving him, um, you know, instead of just trying to yank everything. All right, moving down to Brooklyn now. They played the Wilmington Blue Rocks, and they only got two games in this week. They won one and lost one because of the weather. Thursday and Friday's games, they both got postponed because of fog, and then there was a doubleheader on Saturday, and the first game got rained out, and then the second one got suspended because of fog. Did you guys know there's a lighthouse in Coney Island? <laughs> Maybe. There is. It's been very yeah. foggy here in Brooklyn, so. There, like, even by there is technically, <clears throat> yeah. there, is a, there is a lighthouse in Seagate, believe it or not. I did not know that. And it's not really relevant to baseball, but this is an educational podcast, so boom. There's a lighthouse in Coney Island. But since everything got messed up because of the weather, nothing particularly impressive, nothing particularly bad happened in any of the two games that they played. So it's literally a wash for Brooklyn this week. And last but not least are the St. Lucie Mets. They played the Lakeland Flying Tigers, and they went 4-1 and against them so far. And that leaves them at 22 and 10 on the year, which is three games ahead of Jupiter for first place in the division. And they're actually the best team in the entire Florida State League. So, good to see. Uh, Alex Ramirez, he came into the week hot as can be. He hit 536 with three doubles, two triples, and a homer last well, two weeks ago. But this past week, he's cooled off, and he was uh, three for 21, although one of those three hits was a homer. But... Can't complain. I mean, nobody could keep up that toward of a pace. 
Um, Stanley Consuega had a slow week. Carlos Dominguez had a slow week. Really, the only guys that had respectable weeks were William Lugo. He went 6 or 16 with a homer. And Omar De Los Santos, he went 5 for 14 with a double, a triple, and two stolen bases. So, nothing too crazy on the hitting side of St. Lucie. The pitching was pretty solid. Uh, Carson Seymour, he threw five scoreless innings with five hits, two walks, and six strikeouts. Kevin Ziegler went five-plus, and he gave up one earned run on two hits with two walks and nine strikeouts. Mike Vassell went five scoreless. He allowed two hits. He walked two, and he struck out four. And Dominic Hamill, he gave up a run on five hits through six innings, allowing uh, two walks and a strikeout. So nothing particularly crazy, nothing particularly bad. I did notice that Keyshawn Askew, my my favorite early season breakout guy here, has hit the DL, IL, whichever. So that sucks. Yeah, he's a fun. They could just be uh, managing his innings a little bit because it's like the it's like the developmental list or whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's well, it like was developmental list, and then it became the injured list. Oh, it did. Okay, never mind then. I thought he was yeah. just I thought he was just chilling on the on the developmental list, which could be like them just managing his innings, but if it's IL, he's probably actually hurt. Yeah. Yeah, that would suck. Hopefully. Especially because a lot of those other college arms we expected to start hot haven't necessarily started hot. Ziegler Uh, looks good, like we were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ziegler's looked real good, but like Hamill, Seymour, David, uh, Vassal. Ziegler's pitching better than I expected him to, and all of those college pitchers are pitching worse than I expected them to, but mm-hmm. none of them are particularly bad either. Yeah, yeah. Ziegler's just been a little more advanced, I think, than I expected. Yeah. Uh, Ziegler's been real encouraging. Which is nice. You always want to see that. Mm-hmm. That's top draft pick in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, well. So, all in all, it was... Uh, we Not we do have dead. some news that does um, affect the Mets minor leagues a little bit, but yeah, um, I, just, I just saw. I just yeah, saw that uh, McGill's on the IL. Yeah, uh, Tyler McGill is uh, on the 15 day IL with right biceps inflammation, which is not what you want. But they called up Colin Holderman, so we have some bullpen help. I'm assuming Trevor Williams is going to start tomorrow, but good for Holderman. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's obviously Miguel being hurt sucks because he's been really good this year outside of last start, which probably was because of his bicep. But yeah. um, he's again, had a good lot of him. a lot of adversity in his career, Holderman. Yeah, good for him that he's worked his way to be able to be in this situation. We should we should note that the this is actually what Thor was diagnosed, if you recall, in twenty. 18, 2019, when he missed the whole, before the Tommy John. So hopefully they learned their lesson, and if this is actually a lat thing, they'll diagnose it correctly and not just keep saying it's his biceps until he really tears his lat. But it's the Mets, so who knows? It's funny. They they, they originally tweeted lat and from inflammation and then deleted it and put up biceps, so I think they messed up. But, like, I wonder if that's kind of like a social media mess up and they were mm-hmm. talking about both things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe they're yeah. already look if you want to really put on your tinfoil hat and do conspiracy theory stuff, they're already thinking about that, but they he's getting an MRI, so we'll see how that goes. Well, he was an overslot guy out of a JUCO, so I mean he's always had talent. 
let's see, he was selected in the ninth round in 2016. Here are the guys that were selected in the, the rounds before him. Just a, a trip down memory lane. Uh, first rounders, Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay. Obviously, the first rounders. Then we have the almighty Pete Alonso. And now here's where it gets fun. Third round, Blake Taberi. Fourth round, Michael Paez. Ah, yes. The string of college performers. Yep. Fifth round, Colby Woodmansey. Oh, baseball. I liked Colby Woodmansey. Uh. Sixth round, Chris Vile. Seventh round, Austin McGeorge. And eighth round, Placido Torres. I believe they're all out of baseball now. Uh, yeah, yes. I think so. Vile retired. Torres lasted like six months. Yeah. Uh, George might still be pitching. Let's see. He is. No, he is not. I like the awesome George. Actually, he was like a <laughs> super slider guy. A decent draft because Pete Alonso will make most drafts look good. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, not not very deep. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, 2016 was uh, no bueno. No bueno. Very top heavy. All right, so we have one more related – well, not related, but one more relevant thing to talk about this week. J.J. Uh, Cooper from Baseball America, he published a few articles this week that we're talking about regarding um, newish minor league facility standards that were put in place last season and supposedly were one of the driving forces between Major League Baseball barging in and imposing its will on the minor leagues and dropping 42 uh, affiliated teams from baseball. And apparently Major League Baseball is going to be grading stadium conditions using uh, kind of a matrix where there's requirements and there will be point deductions for not meeting them. Um, 100% compliance to all of the requirements is not necessary, so teams can decide to forego certain things, um, but obviously they'll get points deducted, and teams will need to meet minimum point requirements to stay in compliance with everything. So in 2023, next season, teams are going to be expected to have no fewer than 30 points deducted. In 2024, it's going to drop to 20 points. And then in 2025, it's going to drop to 10 points. So there's a bunch of things that MLB, I guess, inspectors, I don't know, will be looking at and grading. So here's the standards. First up, dugouts. And any dugout for a stadium built after 2022 Oh, excuse me, 2020 must have direct access to a restroom. Playing surfaces. Playing surface should be free of trip hazards that jeopardize play safety. If a trip hazard arises, the MILB team should rectify it promptly. Warning tracks should be clearly delineated, delineated with 15 feet to all fences and walls. The field should be graded so that the playing surface is flat. Positive grade from baseline to dugout could be no more than 8 feet, and the positive grade from second base to the warning track could be no more than 20 feet. Bullpens. Bullpen for any stadium built after 2020 must be built off the playing field. The bullpens must be visible from both dugouts, either by sightline or video monitor. Walls. All walls must be 8 feet in height minimum. All outfield walls and walls down the line beyond the dugouts require padding that stretches at least 8 feet high. Scoreboards and video boards require safeguards to ensure player safety. Stadium lighting. All stadium lighting systems must have 100-foot candles of average illumination in the infield, 70-foot candles of illumination on average in the outfield, 
and 50-foot candles of illumination on average in the bullpen area. Any new stadium or stadium that has to install new lighting poles shall use LED lights. The batter's eye. The batter's eye in all cases must be 30 feet wide by 60 feet tall. Any stadium built after 2020, it must be at least 36 by 60 feet. Hitting and pitching tunnels. Two covered tunnels for pitching and hitting that are protected from wind-blown rain shall be provided with professional quality netting. Female staff facilities. A private dressing, shower, and toilet facility must be available for female umpires and staff of home and visiting teams. It should be reasonably close to the home and visitor locker rooms with four lockers, two shower heads, two water closets, two lavatories. It should be at least 200 square feet. Clubhouses. Both home and visitor clubhouses are to be 1,000 square feet or larger and should have 32 lockers for players with lockable storage. Home and visiting training room. Each shall be a minimum 400 square feet with at least two training tables, two full-body whirlpools, hydrocolator, scale, stationary bike, ice machine, and desk. Umpire facility. A private room for dressing, shower, and toilet facilities with as many lockers as the customary number of umpires for that level must be provided. It should be at least 200 square feet. Space for MLB officials. The press box shall have two public two two spaces for MLB personnel to operate video tracking equipment, as well as two spots for a public address announcer and scoreboard operator. It should have uh, 50 megabits per second or faster dedicated Wi-Fi and 50 square feet to be used by the MLB parent club. Security command post. There needs to be a centrally located command post for security. That location should have 24-7 video surveillance of staff player parking areas, as well as the entrance to the home and visitor clubhouses, female staff facilities, and umpire facilities. Food areas. Home and visitor food prep areas should be 300 square feet or more, with a refrigerator, sink, dishwasher, freezer, microwave, cabinets, storage, and seating for eight. This must be separate from the clubhouse. Weight room. A weight room of at least 750 square feet should be provided for home and visiting teams. Equipment room, at least 300 square feet of lockable storage near the home clubhouse. Team storage, another 300 square feet of lockable storage should be set aside for MLB team year-round. Irrigation systems. All fields should have full field irrigation systems. Any stadium built after 2020 should be able to discharge at least 60 gallons per minute and should have quick couplers behind home plate the pitcher's mound, and near the bullpen. And finally, last but not least, are drainage systems. And stadiums built after 2020 should have a subsurface draining system. So, that's a lot. Um, failing to meet some of the criteria can result in just a point being taken off. And J.J. Cooper used the example of like the batting pitching tunnels not having a power outlet, for example. as just a one-point violation. Some violations might be two-pointers, some might be three-pointers, and then some are ten-pointers, such as not having a female locker room, meaning that in 2025, when the maximum allowable penalties are only ten points, something like that will be non-negotiable. Um, so I don't think any of that is unreasonable. This is, like, shockingly reasonable. I wish we could take it at. I wish I had enough faith in MLB where we could just take this at faith, face value because yeah. most of these things <laughs> seem good. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like, you know. The, the thing that immediately jumps out at me, though, is it's going to suck for some of the older stadiums because, you know, I checked and the oldest stadium 
that's currently in operation is Jackie Robinson Ballpark, which is where the Daytona Tortugas play. That opened in 1914. Um, there's a couple of other super old stadiums, Lecom Park, which is home of the Braves and the Marauders, that opened in 1923. Uh, McCormick Field, which is home of the Asheville Tourists, 1924. Modern Woodman Park, which is home of the Quad City River Bandits, that opened in 1931. Stadiums like that are... It's going to be difficult for those stadiums to, like, get up yeah. to mm-hmm. It's possible. Like, it's not impossible, but... Well, I mean, there's been... There's been tons of renovations in basically the hundred or so years that they've been in existence. But some of these things are, are kind of complex or just yeah. require literally demolishing and building. Um, it's not just them. There's 11 more that was built between 1940 and 1970s. And then every other stadium was built on from 1980. Um, in total of all 120 teams in the minors, 15 are super old like that. And then 105 are super modern. Uh, six were built in the 80s. 35 were built in the 90s. 39 were built in the 2000s. 18 were built in the 2010s. And there's actually six that were brand new that were built in either 2020, 2021, or 2022. And I don't know. It just it, it sucks that some of these older teams ballparks are going to be impacted in such a way that I don't know if they're going to be viable, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm not a construction, I'm not a contractor, I don't know how simple it is to de- demolish a room or build, you know uh, build a new, you know female staff facility or or extend the, the visiting training room or whatever you know, like you know, as somebody who works in construction, yeah. I'll tell you that uh, a lot of them are probably going to get demolished because it'll be just cheaper to, yeah, you know, build something from the ground up that meets all of the standards than you know, reworking old infrastructure to fit new needs. So yeah, yeah, I I, I, I can understand the the like regret around that, but at the same time, like, sometimes old shit is just worse. Like, and if we're talking about field safety or inclusive facilities, like, that's that's probably a good thing to, to update. Yeah, like, like, none of those, like I said, none of those things are unreasonable. Those are all good things. It just, I don't know, it, it sucks, because it might not be a big deal for some people, but I like ballparks with history and personality and it's not that newer stadiums kind of don't have that kind of stuff. It was, look at my mom at East Park. It's right on the water. It's sandwiched between amusement parks and Coney Island. It's got personality. Um, Hunter Wright Stadium, when I went to Kingsport, you know, that was built in the in the 90s. But it's very quaint. It's right in the mountains. It has personality. But by and large, like, all these new stadiums, they just suck. They're boring. Binghamton. Yeah, it's very know, cookie cutter. Yeah, Binghamton, no offense to Binghamton. But that stadium was boring. Lakewood, I don't like. It's boring. Scranton, I just went to. Boring. You know, I've been to Staten Island, Trenton, Somerset, Columbia, New Orleans. They're all just, like, boring stadiums. There's nothing special about them. They don't feel like anything. They're just cookie-cutter, like you said. Because it's easier. It's easier to just be like, here is the design. Here is the minor league uh, baseball stadium design. We will make it. 
So, yeah, we'll see about those those stadiums. Um, in the article, Cooper said that, uh, well, I don't know, he didn't say it, but he, he highlighted that a lot of those stadiums that are super old are in the uh, California League. And officials that are in the know are not really sure how compliant the team is going to be able to make those stadiums. So, for a variety of different reasons. So, yeah, we'll see. There might be, you know, in the next couple of years, uh, a lot of new stadiums opening up or teams moving their affiliations from one city to another because they want better facilities, like like, uh, the Yankees did with Treadon and Somerset. It's it's just more of uh, baseball killing its history, I guess. They love doing that. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> All right, so if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you could send us an email at our email address from complex at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvahost343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at said Season SZN. Subscribe to the podcast from wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review. And of course, we thank you for listening. And we'll be back ne- next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.